and welcome to another episode. Very special episode. <laughs> oh God. Oh, trash, trash or, or treasure. treasure? The podcast where Kim and Amy bring you spoiler-free recaps, reviews, and oh, maybe even a recommendation today <laughs> for whatever we read. Amy, what did we read? Or Perhaps more notably, what did we reread this week? <laughs> I'm so excited oh, because, because Kimberly has is actually letting us do a review of Julia Quinn's Romancing Mr. Bridgerton. <laughs> Hooray! But Yay. I also have we have to start with the Viscount who loved me. And we're doing this as, you know, a bit of a sort of nod, of course, to the fact that Season two is coming out on Netflix. But yes, and it will be based very loosely based when it comes to the Anthony plot so far on the Viscount who loved me, which is the second book in the yes. series. Fans who may have already read ahead will have realized that we've completely left out book three, an offer from a gentleman which features Benedict. If you'd like to know why, go back and listen to episode one again. It's true. <laughs> yes. And also Amy just would not wait any longer. As soon as I was, as soon as I said, maybe we should do Viscount Who Loved Me, uh, you jumped straight on it and was like, oh, yes, we should do Romancing Mr. Bridgerton while we're there. <laughs> I wonder whether I'm going to recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to start with Viscount Who Loved Me. Correct. Go. Of course. I'll tell you when it's set. <laughs> Regency England, it's 1815. So this one is set quite soon after um, the first novel, after Daphne. Yeah, but, it is. Yeah. So Anthony is the eldest Bridgerton male. He's Lord Bridgerton and he is very conscious of being the head of the family. Yeah. And he's been a bit of a rogue and a rake and, you know, he's got his mistress and at the same time he's... He's fun-loving, he's, kind of, yeah. but he's responsible. He is responsible. He has a very, very deep love for his family. He does. And he really respects his mother. And, and he's he, a good head of the family. He's a great head of the family. Which I, which is a big contrast. I will say this. We're going to try not to talk too much about the I Netflix know, series. I know, I know, I know. this is but, a book recommendation but show, but I will, hard. But what I'm saying <laughs> is for people who perhaps are listening to this maybe haven't not having read the books or if you've read the books but you read them off the back of having seen the series mm. the series did a lot like realized a lot of aspects of the first book and of the family and of the era and stuff in ways that was really interesting and really good but i think they did anthony a disservice he came across in the show i felt as a dick rather than as an affectionate older brother. Are you allowed to say that? Certainly he was not an affectionate older brother. That that closeness that he was kind of that central pillar that kept this kind of very close, caring family together, together. was absent. He just seemed and petulant. His, and his sense of, like, he actually is responsible and he's effective in being responsible and for his family. And he was also family. way too rude to his mum. He would Anthony of the books... does not stand up for that. Oh, my goodness. And Anthony of the books would never be rude like that to his mum. Oh, my goodness. Well, we wouldn't like him if he was. Yeah, it's true. So I would say that Anthony of the books is more likable. Yeah. Yes. So Anthony is... When the books are happening, he's in his 
early 30s. Yeah, he is. He's older. And he's very, very conscious. He's got this, like, big chip on his shoulder that... Well, it's more like the sort of Damocles holding, like, hanging over his head. Yeah, that's better. You know how I'm bad with metaphors. You are. But he's... He's got this sort of sense of certainty. impending do- doom. Yeah, but it is certainty for that him. That if his father, who he adored yeah. and who died when he was 18 at the age of 37 or 38. Yes. So if that is when his, his dad father didn't died. live older than that. Anthony he, will yeah. not. So, so he is 100% certain he will die before he is 40. Which means that now is the time that he needs to get married and have an heir in order to be the responsible head of the family so his brothers don't have to marry to keep on the family line. Yes, but his other thing that's important for his barrier to just jumping in and marrying and whatever is that he is convinced, because he is so convinced of this kind of, this is a truth and a fact of his life that he is going to die. Exactly. He never intends to marry for love. No. Because he wouldn't want to put someone that he, that he loves knowingly through this awful thing that's going to come and happen to her when he does die. So falling in love in this book is a real pain in the bottom for Anthony because he didn't want to marry for love. He doesn't want to leave behind a grieving widow. No, that's right. He doesn't want to break someone's heart. So what he does is <laughs> sort of ascertains who's the most eligible and appropriate person Doesn't for him to marry. Doesn't he go to, to his marry. sisters and his mum and he's oh, like, make he a list. he gets like a list. Yeah. Violet loves, she yeah. makes a list yeah. for him. And he selects, uh, I actually can't remember her name because she doesn't, is not the heroine not of the, the heroine, story. Yeah. A lady, Miss Sheffield, who's beautiful and everything that a countess would need to be, and he starts to court her. However, she has an older sister, Kate, and Kate is not happy with this this pursuit of her sister by a notorious rake. Yeah. No matter how charming and how highly yeah. respected the family might be, Kate, no. So Kate sweeps in to try and protect her sister yeah. by just pulling essentially, the fire. <laughs> just, she just essentially kills the mood. Like, just kind of every time he goes to talk to her sister, she butts in. She's until, like, hi. Yeah, until pretty much she and him are spending almost more time together. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of her deal. She's just trying to protect her sister. The other thing... And she doesn't have a very high opinion of, of Anthony. Anthony. No. no. Which I also felt at the time when I... in Sort of again to go back to what we said at the start, I see very much how that all of season one of Bridgerton on Netflix set Anthony up to be this person you kind of would doubt and be a bit like, no, I don't trust you and I don't want to marry you and you mm. seem a bit blah, blah, blah in season two. But the books didn't. In Daphne's book, he was nothing but delightful. and You could understand all of his motivations absolutely. coming from a good place. Absolutely. He didn't place. seem selfish or reiki or, at all. He just seemed like a fun, nice, loving person who was a young man in the era, which meant you got to go out and do whatever and whomsoever you chose until you were ready to settle down. So your wild oats. Yeah. And so I always thought she was a bit unfair. I was like, oh, okay, he's not that bad. But she's... Also, not a diamond of the first water. Kate is like, they describe her as being... She's a bit abrasive, yeah. But she's not beautiful. She's not overly charming. She's not very stylish. And she and her family are quite poor. 
So, so she's, that, she's it's just her. She's and suspicious. Defensive. Yeah. She thinks that people might be said it like laughing. She's like, oh, are you are you doing this to sort of poke fun at me? But she has a stepmom, Mary, and her sister. Yeah. And they're this little tight family unit who are sort of in this book the counter the counter family to yeah, the so there's always this sense of family you're with the Bridgerton family or you're with Kate and her family yeah the Sheffields so obviously Anthony and Kate are attracted to each other and I'm not going to say anymore because one we've been talking too long and two it's a romance novel yeah so Kimberly yeah we look we have reviewed very very briefly we've touched on this book before yes and listeners of our very first episode will know how we felt about it yeah but we might go into a little bit more detail here I this is that. our opportunity this is our opportunity right again like i said all those many moons ago i liked this book i have reread it multiple times mm. it is not my favorite of the series and anthony oh, 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 we're gonna God. touch on what is oh, um, sorry and anthony is not my favorite of the bridgerton brothers but i did like him and he's certainly my second favorite and i liked kate and I thought that their barriers and what was going on for them, particularly on her side, kind of made mm. sense. The way they kind of talked to each other and communicated all made quite a bit of sense. His barrier was a little bit difficult to kind of buy into because it seemed so ridiculous, which, again, and I'm sure we mentioned this all those moons ago, is so significant that epilogue, yeah, like the, an author's well, note. There's an author's note at yeah. the end where Julia Quinn is like, seriously, this is a thing that happens to men. It's like, look it up. It's a real condition. Yeah, I really liked it. I really liked her family. Yes. And we saw more as well of the Bridgerton family mm-hmm. in this book than I think we kind of did in Daphne's book as yep. well a little bit more because obviously Anthony's head of the family, so his book is very much about family. And I really loved that. Like, that was really beautiful. And her family was just fun as well and different and just lovely to spend time with, really lovely to spend time with. And I cared about both of them and I wanted them to be happy and the end. So, yeah, it was funny and she was fun and different too to his sisters, which I liked. She Mm. wasn't just a little carbon copy of Daphne who we had loved from the first book. So there was some clear delineation of character. She's witty. She was witty. She was quite witty. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I agree with, well, like what you said about you like her and finding out more about the families. I really, I like this book. Like it is, (laughs) as we all know, it's not my number one Bridgerton favourite book. but that's because it's very hard to unseat Colin, clearly. (laughs) It's one that, it's probably the second one I read the most. No, see, I think I'd prefer Daphne's to this. Okay, the Duke I, and I, I reread more than I reread this. I think I probably reread this one a bit more because yeah. it makes me laugh more. There are some yeah. scenes that I find genuinely funny, and I yeah. think it's because we do get to spend more time with the family mm-hmm. and see them just how much joy they all take in each other's presence. Yeah, that's so important. I hope that that's that that translates into season two coming next week yeah carrying on the central theme is that like you have these two groups of people and their fundamental value that unites them is how close they are to the people that they love yeah and while kate and anthony are really you know at the beginning very different in terms of what they're interested in the thing that links them which I really like, is that, you know, she would do anything for her family, which is why she's intercepting his advances on her 
younger sister, and he would do anything for his family. Which is why he is trying to put advances on her (laughs) younger younger sister, sister. who he's not really into. Which, more than anything else, really is what Kate picks up on. That she's like, I don't think you can be anywhere near as keen as you are pretending to be. be. She is young and new, and you are old and experienced, and leave her alone. The other thing that I... It's a little thing, but I do. It's part of the family component. I... Like that in this novel, I actually wish we got to spend more time with Kate's stepmom. Yeah. Because she was a great, a little beautiful nugget of a character. Yeah. And she wasn't an unpleasant stepmother. No. She genuinely Kate loves her. Yeah, Kate, they yeah, love they each love other. Her, yeah. Which compares the novel after has an evil stepmother in it. Yes. Because the Benedict novel is essentially Cinderella. Yes. I did think that the point where they were, like, thrust towards marriage and some of the obstacles thereafter were more on the silly side. Yes. Slightly (laughs) contrived. Ever so slightly contrived. Yes. Yes. So that's probably why it isn't my number one favourite of it. But overall, it's a really heartwarming book, and I think it's because it has that... Family component. Family. Because the Bridgertons are a great family. And the doubling family. Yeah, and the people they choose to care about are also beautiful people who share that sense of, like, familial value. And, yeah, it's lovely. So... It is heartwarming. I recommend it, and I've read it multiple times, so that puts it in the treasure box. Same. Yeah, Yeah. same on both counts. Hmm. And that's not all we have time for because you do you want to do the spoiler free recap double header? No, I don't. Oh my god, too. I just want you to just talk for hours. No, I just want you to thoroughly explain to everyone how you feel about this book. And I think the <laughs> only way to do that is with multiple opportunities. Oh, I'm so bad to at spoiler free recaps. Talk about it. So if this gets out of control, I will jump in. But I I want you to at least have a chance, Amy. What else did we read this week? Romancing Mr. Bridgerton by Julia Quinn. That's right, Kimberly. We did. And Romancing <laughs> Mr. Bridgerton starts about the same time as Daphne's book. And oh, it doesn't yeah, jump it really in, far in the It future, starts though. when Penelope's 16 and then yeah. it, and then it oh, goes. God. That's not the, the whole of the no, book. No, okay, it is sorry. not the whole of the book. Then it jumps to, like, the mid-1820s. So it actually occurs when Colin Bridgerton is in his, like, mid-30s. He's back from his tours. And Penelope, the heroine, is in her late 20s. 10, 12 years since The Duke and I and uh, pretty much the same amount of time since The Viscount Who Loved Me. I was going to call it The Viscount and I. (laughs) Now you've you've lost my train of thought. Because you, you interjected on my setting. Necessary details already. So, who are our main people? You can't assume that people have watched season one of Bridgerton on Netflix. Okay, our main characters are Penelope Featherington, who is a close friend of the Bridgerton family, particularly of Eloise, Eloise one of the sisters. Yeah. They like that's... they're just BFFs. And Penelope has been in love with Colin since she was 16. And that's... Can I say, though, this book, like, she has been in love with Colin since she was 16. But she was 16. And she's quite a sensible person. Yeah. She... She's like, I know it's... She falls in love with him again in this book, I think. She has, like, what do you call it? Uh, It's puppy love. It's a Puppy love. And then, but she's very much aware that no Bridgerton is ever going to marry a Featherington. It's just certainly not not going to yeah. happen because yeah. her family is not like the Bridgerton family. They're ridiculous. They are very superficial, and her mother does not think. Her mother thinks that Penelope is going to be the daughter who's going to look after her in her old age and is yes. putting 
all of her focus onto Penelope's little sister, Felicity, who's quite a nice kid but, like, 18. Yeah. And has already formed an attachment to someone, and Penelope's like, she's going to get married, Mum, back off. Yeah. But Mrs. Featherington has pretty much doesn't acknowledge that Penelope has any form of marriage prospect. But the other thing that works heavily in Penelope's <laughs> favour in this book, now that we're 10 years after the events of the Duke and I and 10 years after when she and Colin first knew each other, yeah. is that her mother has stopped engaging at all in Penelope's kind of... Opportunities on the marriage mart, so she no longer goes with her to buy her outfits and stuff. All of the Featheringtons have like bright red hair, and so their complexions require specific color choices that Mrs. Feather, Lady Featherington, doesn't obviously. It's just Mrs. in the book. I think she is, isn't she? Just a Mrs. Anyway, so she is no longer engaging, so Penelope can actually dress nicely. So Penelope is more more confident, and part of this story is Penelope gaining her own sense of self and her own sense of confidence. Well, because, also her sense of self-worth. That, yeah, yes, self-worth. Yes, that a Bridgerton could deign to love her. Like, you know, that kind of – you have to drop that so that you can actually have a relationship that is on even footing. And that's something that has to occur in this book because of the depth and extent of her puppy love. She is very used to find, to being the wallflower and very used to being unnoticed and for people saying, oh, I didn't notice you were there. Yeah. And as a result, she is quite – the relationship she has with Colin upon his return from his travels on the continent, her relationship is friendship. They they already have a pretty easy yeah. friendship. They just enjoy each other's company. So Colin has returned from an extensive amount of time doing what his brother Anthony calls avoiding – Yes, setting, avoiding Avoiding commitment or responsibility. Yeah. He's but just, it's just travel. He travels. He travels, but everyone's like, hey, Colin, you're in your mid-30s, you need to start settling down. His mum wants all of her children to be happily married, so she's like, hey, I've made a list. Yeah. <laughs> and he is not interested in – in engaging in his mother's list or really Well, he's in kind of married. a bit lost. He doesn't Colin have he doesn't have a purpose. He doesn't have a purpose because he doesn't have the he doesn't have looking after the family the way Anthony does. And, and Benedict's he isn't, a painter, so he yes, doesn't have that. He, he doesn't really that. know what his purpose is. And that's what he's that's searching his journey for in, in this book. book. Yeah. Is having a, a sense of purpose. So Penelope's is like self worth and his is self purpose. <laughs> so they develop in this book a deeper friendship. It's essentially a friendship that they develop. Yeah. And it becomes a much deeper friendship where Colin's like, I actually been underappreciating Penelope. She's just always been there, attached yes. to my sister Eloise for and like as long as I Eloise can Eloise is less present in this book. She's at she's at home. She's still living at Bridgerton House and she's still unmarried and at home in this book. But she is busy. Yeah. She is busy and distracted, and when a Penelope reaches out and kind of needs to hang out with her and talk to her and stuff, she's not quite as available as she has been previously. And so, yeah, Penelope and Colin are left much to their own devices at times. The other key character in this one is Lady Danbury, mm-hmm. who is so a respected older lady in society, and she is a bit of a champion of the underdog, and she takes Penelope under her wing in terms of... You know, she says to Penelope early on, you know, isn't it exciting to find out you're more than you thought you were? Yeah. And that sort of becomes Penelope's mantra throughout the novel. So she's a key sort of influence and contributor to Penelope's journey towards self-worth. 
So the central plot plot yep. point, other than characters, is that Lady Danbury throws down the gauntlet in this novel to society saying, I will give a reward of a thousand pounds to whoever can unmask Lady Whistledown, the gossip columnist. Who's no been one... a central component in all for the, the books last up to this decade. Point. Yeah. So no one knows her identity, but they know that she's always present and she knows she she All of her information is always accurate. And they say that Lady Whistledown has very wittily insulted pretty much everyone in society yeah. at some point. Colin is convinced that Lady Whistledown is his sister Eloise because she's always busy and she's always she's writing. writing. Yeah. And he's very suspicious of her and he gets this like maggot in his head that it's Eloise and if that comes out because Lady Whistledown has poked fun at so many people in society, Eloise, Eloise will, will be ruined, be ruined yeah. in the ensuing scandal. And obviously because he thinks it's Eloise, the person he goes to is Penelope because if anyone was going to know that she was whistled down, it's her best friend, mm. which thrusts him and Penelope together. But Penelope can't prove categorically that it's not Eloise and so they kind of do like a little mini investigation together and blah, blah, blah. Interestingly, and we won't go into that in any more detail, suffice to say if you've seen season one of the Netflix Netflix series, series, then you know the identity of Whistledown. In the books, you don't find out who Whistledown is. She is a side. They make her kind of this central thing in the Netflix series. But in the book series, while she is omnipresent and and witty and entertaining and great, I love Lady Whistledown as kind of a presence in the early novels. But until Colin's novel, she is not She's focused just on. She's just gives there. a little, you know, people go, oh. She gives a little on bit <laughs> and it's nice. But this kind of like everyone obsessing with unmasking Whistledown, it really really doesn't happen until a decade later when Lady Danbury just throws up a fuss. And it is a big, like, <gasps> I remember reading that for the yes. first time and being like, oh, my, oh God. my God, of course. Yeah. So even if you have watched the season of Netflix and you know who Lady Whistledown is, it's, I think it's, it's more powerful in the book yeah, than it was the on the show. Yeah, it really was. And even on reread, with obviously having the knowledge because you'd read the book before, on reread I find it still Because really awesome the ramifications the of it yeah. in terms of relationships yes, and in terms it's so of... so much – the stakes are so much higher. Yeah, they're really high. What yeah. falls out of that is really quite also, the complex. Also, the other thing that I think is lost in – again, and we're not this isn't a review that's about a comparison between it's hard the two. Not to. <laughs> it's hard not to. The other thing I think that is lost in the series is that there is an impetus behind what Whistledown is doing. There's a financial impetus. Like there are ramifications for family and for money that are not present yet in the not present during the reveal in the Netflix or aren't really yeah. Do you know what I mean? So like they, that's so why Whistledown began. That Lady Whistledown must be quite rich by now. Yes. And that's one way that we could find out who she is. Yes. Is is someone Follow presenting as yes. wealthier than they should, they should be. be. That's kinda it. Anything else I think is I just should, could just be the audiobook of the book, really, if I... If you go any further. All right. Kimberly. Oh, gosh, I get to go first. We know you recommend it, but why? I, I love Penelope. That's what this book is about for yeah. me. That's what I go back for. That's what I enjoy. She is not the mouse she presents as ever. 
that's mm-hmm. never been who she is because she's, you know. She's got spunk. She's got, but she's had spunk since the, the Duke and I, like, you know, since 10 years ago. I really love the massive jump forward in time in this book. I like, I really like that we mm. give her that yeah. time to grow up and to grow out of the kind of box her mum, but also the <laughs> box her mum kind of shoves her in and to feel kind of empowered by being put on the shelf rather than to feel devastated by the idea that no one will ever want her. Mm-hmm. And I think I really love her realisation that Colin's just not all that in a bag of potato chips. <laughs> yeah, and that he isn't this demigod she's put on a pedestal exactly. for so many years. And yeah. that she kind of has that realisation and it means she can love him more and love him better and love him in a way that is more... Realistic. Yeah, but also, like, genuine and deep and true, you know, so it's beautiful. But I just... Yeah, just her growth as a character and her strength as a person. Because we had followed her over the last couple mm. of books, she's such a central part and of their family. And she's in some offshoot books. She's in yeah. the Lady Whistledown. There's two yeah. spin-off novellas. Yeah. She's, yep. she's in all of those. <laughs> and I just really loved her. And Colin is great and fun. And again, I think done an injustice so far by the Netflix series. I'm not that into Colin. Love to know what your thoughts of the Netflix Colin are, but I'm just not that into the Netflix Colin. But in the books, he is sweet and a bit lost and kind of needs direction and purpose. And their friendship's just really beautiful. And he's funny. They Mm. are funny. They're both kind of witty and funny. So that's nice to hang around with as well. And I also love this book because, and I think it's, I didn't really, it didn't click for me until you were talking about the spoiler-free recap. And it's funny when we do like a boil the book down to what actually happens in it. Like a lot happens in this book because Whistledown is dealt with and it's such a massive part of the first first four four books, right? Yeah, because we always talk about this. Bridgerton is like before Whistledown. Yeah, and during Whistledown and yes, then after Whistledown. And Whistledown. then after Whistledown retires. So while that's this massive kind of thing that we're building up to, because we are building up to that in this book, not a lot happens. In terms of like plot points and plot devices, that is not, that's never what I take away from or, mem- or remember no, heavily in this book. There's some like, but it does key move along quite quickly. And key moments. Yeah. But it's not like there's. I would say that probably more events and more things happen in The Viscount Who Loved Me. Yes. It's just not very plotty. Yeah. I feel like it's just... It's about people. It's about people and relationships. Mm. And I think the skill required... And not just the skill required to write it, but but the level of knowledge and intimacy with those characters over time Mm. to then be able to write a full-size novel... That doesn't actually need a lot of plot in it. You just need these characters in it and us to hang out with these characters and it becomes one of our absolute favourites. Like, that's good writing. Like, that is for all of – it's how we forgive that Minx exists. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because – yeah. You just yep. look, you put those two books together and you're just like, how? You see the um, development uh, Well, this book is about writers. Yeah, it is. They're both – yeah, you're so right. You're so right. You're so right. So, yeah, it's great. It's amazing, and I love it for those reasons. The thing that I often want to do after reading Romancing Mr. Bridgerton is I want to go back to the earlier books and find Penelope in them. Me too. Yeah, me too. Because you read it and you have this higher appreciation for her as a character and as a person. And what Julia Quinn does in Romancing Mr. Bridgerton is she actually references previous events that happened yes, in some because, of those novels. Particularly because Colin does that rewriting history thing in his brain where he's like, 
I've never treated you any differently than I am now. And she's like, really? Because remember 10 years ago when blah, blah happened and the scene she is describing happens in... And you read it. Yes. If you read the books chronologically yeah. and you as a reader are like, oh, that did happen. Colin, Oh, my God, I remember feeling. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I feel like we've moved on to your review. Sorry, I feel like I hijacked it back. I would recommend it. Segue to me or just jump in. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. This is is a review. I feel like this is just a mess. Sorry, everyone. I, well, surprise. Yeah, I really recommend this book. But I think what you were saying about good writing Mm. is one of the main reasons I enjoy it because it's so centrally like tied around that idea of people being more than who they thought they were. Yeah. And And that's that's, a beautiful sentiment, isn't it? That's really tightly aligned to the character arcs of the two main characters and some of the other characters as well. Yeah. It's that kind of thing, isn't it, where you read something and go, Oh, you knew what this was right at the start. Yeah. You just go, the person, like, Julia Quinn had a very clear, clear, clear vision. This was not like a, oh, maybe this could happen. Maybe I'll just base it on Cinderella. This was like, you knew what this was and this you knew book, why it was. She, I think I feel like she wanted to write this book much early on, but she was like, no, they need to grow up a bit more. Yeah. I have to wait. Yeah. So I need to put go in alphabetical order before I write this story. Yeah. Move Colin down the brothers. Yeah. Put them a bit later on. Yeah. I also, I love Penelope. Yeah. She's such a real character. So and her good. doubts and her inner monologue and all of her essential, like, I'm not describing this very well, but like her personality and all her sort of character. She's just really relatable. Is Yeah, is so relatable. And her self-discovery and her learning to accept herself for what she is and recognise the and recognize that not only should she be cool accepting things within her. Well, that's it. There's not. It's not about accepting herself. She celebrates. Yeah, she who flowers. She, is. she blossoms. Yeah, she and it's blossoms just this beautiful. And it's not about oh, change. It's I not about cry. me too. <laughs> it's not about her having to become someone different or grow no, into someone different. It's about what, that's Colin's journey yes. in terms of their relationship. Is he's like she's always been there and yeah. she's always been the same person. She's always been she this amazing. Changed. Yeah. How have I never noticed this? Yeah. And it takes their sort of developing relationship for him to realise yeah. that so much more than we thought we were. <laughs> you're adorable, Amy. Ah, so adorable. But there's not, like you say, there's not a huge amount that happens. There's like a couple, they go to a couple soirees or a ball. It's a series yeah, of... Yeah, because you kind of have to. ...of like relationship building conversations. Yeah, right. And then there's the who is Lady Whistledown. And then there's like three or four more events which create a really tightly crafted novel that I can read in one sitting very quickly. I have my, my cry at the same point every time and it ends in, I'm like, oh, <laughs> It ends so nice. It does. It's a really beautiful beautiful novel. And, you know, we carry on about how, like, Colin is my favourite, but Colin's book is my favourite. And it's because Penelope is such a fantastic heroine. She is. I would love to have gone and travelled, gone on some of Colin's travels with Penelope. Yeah. As. Just like off they go in the 1820s and they explore far off lands. That would have been like an amazing series of third epilogues, Julia Quinn. 
I think we're done with the Bridgerton epilogues. <laughs> All right, quickly wrap it up because I could just carry on for hours. You sure could. So I would say... Treasure! I guess it's treasure. Total treasure. Absolutely. Absolute treasure. My uh, copy, our collaborative copy of Romancing Mr. Bridgerton is quite battered now. It is quite battered. That is... That all should we have be the subheading for. of today's episode. It's unnecessary, unnecessary details. <laughs> and if you're still with us after this many minutes, this must be like minute 38, longest episode of our podcast ever, though we did review two books. It's true. If you're still with us, thank you for being with us and tune in again next week when we will bring you one and therefore shorter. People might not be tuning in. They're probably going to be watching the Netflix Bridgerton season two, which drops next Sunday. That's so true. But <laughs> I feel like generally our episodes are between like 12 and 18 minutes. We're probably bingeable. Skip us next week and come back. Anyway, until then, happy reading. And just a quick reminder here at the end of the podcast that we would love to hear from you. We want your recommendations. The good, the bad, the interesting, doesn't matter. Please reach out. Send us an email at trashortreasurepodcast at outlook.com. Or we are also available at the world's most awkward Twitter handle, which Amy has to tell you about. Listen to our Twitter handle. It's the greatest. It's at or underscore treasure. Doesn't that just roll off the tongue? (laughs) And with those encouraging words, tweet or email us. We love to hear from you. Happy reading. Cheers.